Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to another episode of Endurance Minded. I'm your host, Taylor Thomas, founder and coach at Thomas Endurance Coaching. And to kick things off for 2020, I'm talking with Warren Pohl. Uh, Warren is the co-founder at 33 Fuel. 33 Fuel is a plant-based sports nutrition company based in the UK. Uh, Warren is also an ultramarathon runner. He's an Ironman triathlete, uh, but he wasn't always those things. Uh, so we talk about his transformation from um, keeping some some relatively unhealthy habits into uh, his life uh, and journey as a, as an ultra distance athlete uh, and what that looked and, and felt like for him. Uh, we talk about how he used uh, setbacks in his journey as an athlete. Um, to to make him stronger and how bouncing back uh, from failure, uh, how he used those experiences to, uh, to to drive him forward versus derailing uh, his his journey as an athlete. Um, we talk about pushing outward against your comfort zone uh, and how that's okay, uh, how it's good um, and, and can be valuable to uh, to be uncomfortable and how we can use those experiences to make us better athletes, but but also potentially make us better people. Um, Warren talks about the idea of how comfort zones can be a, a, a shrink to fit uh, solution for many people, meaning that um, we create environments um, that set us up for success and that uh, we can be afraid to, to push too far outside of our comfort zones because the fear of failure can hold us back. Um, but if, we, if we're willing and able to, to take that step uh, and to push a little further than we might be comfortable, um, that there's a, a, the opportunity for a lot of growth on the other side of that. Um, so lots of great uh, uh, topics that Warren and I get into. Uh, we talk about um, each other's journeys as athletes, as business owners, uh, as individuals, and, and uh, I really enjoyed my chat with Warren. Um, 33 Fuel passed along uh, a discount code for all endurance-minded listeners. If you go to 33 Fuel's website and enter offer code MINDED33, you'll receive 10% off of your order from 33 Fuel. Um, I use their products personally. Uh, Also, a lot of uh, TEC athletes use their products, and and I can't say enough good things about them. Uh, So go to their website. Uh, check out their products. And again, that's M-I-N-D-E-D 33 uh, at checkout for 10% off uh, for listening to Endurance Minded. Um, So thanks so much. Happy New Year. I hope everybody's off to a great start and enjoy my conversation with Warren Pohl. All right. Uh, hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Endurance Minded. Uh, today on the show, uh, really excited to have uh, Warren Paul. Uh, hey, Warren, how's it going? Very good, Taylor. Very good. Good to be speaking with you. Absolutely. I am, uh, I'm excited to have you on. Um, you, you and I met um, by way of, uh, of, of the internet and, and email. Uh, you're uh, the, the company that you, that you co-founded um, and uh, is 33 Fuel, which is, uh, which is a, a natural plant-based sports uh, nutrition company. You guys are based. Um, where, where you're based in the UK? Are you in London? Or I, I guess I should know that, but I don't. No, no. We uh, well. This is the beauty of the internet, and uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> we have to be careful saying, you know, yeah, we met on the internet. Almost sounds that that's kind of what you get when you ask people how they married these days. <laughs> like, well, we met on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, that we probably quantify that statement with. Uh, yeah, this is a business relationship and, uh, and nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a professional endurance racing relationship. No, the, um, we're, we're based in central London, so uh, yeah, right, right in the middle. One of um, one of the worst places in the world for training. <laughs> <laughs> just uh just just density of 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 people and and infrastructure and and stuff like that yeah completely uh i mean i'm so lucky uh erica my wife and i we founded the company together and we often because of the delights of the internet we're able to often work remotely so we'll uh exchange our home with with other people and we go and live in different parts of the world which means that for training we we kind of get spoiled by getting to places that are not anywhere near as urban as London, and we'll do a lot of our training work there, depending on what races are coming up. But when we're in London, you really have to remember to adapt. You can definitely train here. There are, there are great parks. There's decent swimming pools. There is open water. Cycling, you kind of need to be prepared to take your life in your own hands. But 
Uh, I rode motorcycles in the city my whole life, so I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. But it's not a lot of fun cycling anytime after about 7 a.m. Um, but so, yeah, it, it's a compromised place, but you're in the heart of a huge city. It's a wonderful place to be and live, but I also say it's a brilliant place to leave. If I was here 24-7 all year round, I'd probably go a bit crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, – you know, I'm always um – uh, you know, in, in the work that we do and, and working with athletes all over the world, it, it's something that I'm always, um, I guess, really interested in or, or have to remind myself that, that people's training environments are, are wildly different, you know, as you move through different countries and different cities. I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to live Well, I think I'm lucky. Some people wouldn't want to live where I live, but I, I live in um, in the mountains and in a fairly rural area, I don't, there's no traffic anywhere within my, you know, miles of my house. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, from a training perspective, I just get in, I get stuck in my head thinking that everybody has that kind of kind of limitless access, you know, but that's not the case. Right. And, and so I think adapting and adjusting and, and thinking about how we train in those different environments is really something that we have to consider, right? Like the type of ride that you do to train or run that you do versus, uh, versus my experience is going to be different, you know, and, and how you go about that. Um, I, I, you, you're, uh, you're, a, I know an ultra marathon runner. What, what's that look like in the city? Like where are you getting those, uh, presumably those miles in or those long runs? How does that work? So the, uh, I mean, in terms of the, the ultra marathon journey, that, a lot of the miles would come through races, um, and there are ways, you know, the, the, the one place you will find any endurance athlete in London is a place called uh, Richmond Park, out just out towards West London, sort of almost out of the city there. And it's a place where you've got maybe a, a sort of, um, I think it's a 15 or 20K bike loop and a 12k run loop and and it's traffic free ish not on the bike but on the run so literally i would run laps there on on repeat because it's one place where you can just run without having to constantly be crossing a road or dodging a tourist looking the wrong way or, or whatever it may be um other than that getting into the city's parks the canal infrastructure uh, in and out of central London is a very good place to put miles in as well because you don't have to navigate. You just keep the water on one side and they're flat <laughs> and they'll go as far as you yeah. like. But depending on which area of the canal you're in, either in or out of the city, you may not want to be there after dark. Um, bodies, dead bodies turn up in canals for a reason in detective novels. Um, <laughs> they're not necessarily yeah, somewhere right. you want to spend your nights up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'd, you'd hate to die doing your sport, you know. <laughs> you don't really unfair. Yeah, it's always I always think it's interesting what people will do. I, I've I've lived in, uh, in in densely populated cities as well at different times in my life, and um, you know I just remember what you kind of get. I mean, that one particular uh, neighborhood that I lived in, we had it was just like a a five minute kind of dirt. Uh, loop in this fairly small park just in the middle of the neighborhood it was very very small and that was really the only thing i could access certainly the only unpaved thing i could access um without without a fair amount of travel you know to to drive out of the city and to you know all the the logistics that so i mean i just i i would run uh i would do long runs you know and do just you know, I don't know, like, you know, a hundred loops on this, <laughs> on this thing, you know, I just, but you just, that's what you have available. And I, you know, I just kind of put it out of my mind and, and that's what I went for. So yeah, it's always, uh, you know, you get used to, to where you're at, but like you said, it's nice to, it's nice to leave, <laughs> you know, it's nice to know you have access to, to other, other things that keeps things, uh, interesting. Um, so, so one of the things I, uh, when you and I, uh, we talked, um, uh, before, uh, b- before we were recording, uh, the podcast and you had, one of the things that struck me is you mentioned, uh, are you, you identified your, yourself as, uh, as kind of a, a, a wreck. I think it was turned, uh, you know, s- semi decent ultra distance athlete. And I'm, I, I'm, I want you to, uh, uh, maybe give us a little background on what, what it looked like when you, b- before, uh, pre and post, you know, this, this transformation or shift that seems like happened, uh, in your life. What, what did that, what was that all about? So, um, yeah, that was, that was a journey and a half. I mean, I, uh, 
I had run uh, a little bit at school. I'd played rugby through school and university. So 21, 22, leaving university, I was in reasonable shape. I had also done more than my share of drinking, and I was still a smoker at the time, um, albeit light but regular. And these things had managed to exist together throughout, you know, up until I was 21, 22. But rugby as a team game, um, you've got to be in the same place to train with a team regularly. Like you want to be training two nights a week at least together and playing once a week. Um, and I've been lucky at university to, you know, we played, played for the team there. We played together over three years. We had a tight team. Everyone played together well. It took my game to a level that I, you know, way beyond what I, you know, I really feel like I was able to sort of peak in what I, what I could have personally achieved in that area. And trying to continue that afterwards, you, you end up, if you don't have the ability to train regularly, um, in the same place, my job was very mobile at the time. I, I couldn't be in one place. That then means that you end up in sort of what's called pub rugby, um, which is effectively fat, unfit people falling on each other on, on, on a weekend. <laughs> and, and it's no fun. It's not yeah. a game. Rugby is a team sport, you know, like American football or, or whatever. You need everyone moving together as a machine. And when you have two teams of 15 individuals, half of whom are like being sick at halftime or, or still drinking before the game, you don't really end up getting a game of rugby. So that's my, uh, that's my excuse for why fitness then dropped off my radar. Okay. And for the next 10 years until I was just coming into my thirties so or 30, 31, um, I kept on with the drinking and the smoking, but I did not keep on with the exercise. Um, and I'm lucky because, uh, I don't really put on weight. So I was able to not look particularly different. Um, and I was able to kid myself that I was still in good shape. I'd raced motorcycles for a few years in this period, and, and that required a bit of a bit of work, certainly. And, and it meant my work was with motorcycles at the time as well. That was all quite physical. But I've got to 30. All the old niggles from rugby have caught up with me. All of the niggles from too many motorbike crashes have caught up with me. I am not fit. I am not looking after myself. I don't even know the meaning of the words prehab and rehab. Outwardly, I still look okay, but inwardly, I know friends are starting to do triathlons and things, and I'm joking with them from the comfort of the pub. Uh, what do you want to get up early on a Sunday for, you loser? You could be drinking some more tonight. Um, and I know now, looking back, that was based on fear because I didn't want to have to go and find out that I was actually unfit by trying to do what they were doing, and I knew I couldn't do it. Whereas if I pretended to myself and stayed in my little shell – I didn't have to, I could still pretend I was fit because I used to be. And this was at the point where a friend says to me, let's do the marathon de Saab, which um, for those who don't know, it is a 156 mile uh, ultra marathon across the Sahara desert, carrying all of your own equipment. Uh, literally they give you seven or is it eight, seven liters of water a day. And that's it. If anything else, if it's not in your bag on day one, then you don't have it until you finish the race six days later. And uh, I said, that's a good idea. So we went, <laughs> that, that was it. We signed up. Um, I said, this, yeah, the, the, best, the best laid plans are often uh, hatched in the, in the pub, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, I think that's a classic, uh, you know, beginning uh, or, 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 you know, uh, beginning narrative for for so many endurance athletes is uh, oh yeah just my buddies and i were uh having a few beers and then we uh we did this really hard thing <laughs> so uh that's great um yeah go ahead sorry to interrupt no you. no go for it. that that was it was exactly that and i had seen that race um on the tv at the time i knew what it was and I was running maybe 20 minutes once every six weeks, if that. But in, this, in the last two years, sort of 29, 30, um, I hadn't been able to run. My back had been too knackered. My knees had been too knackered. And, and by this stage, even after going to the doctor and, and visiting a, an osteopath and wondering, or was it a chiropractor? I forget. Someone had cracked my back anyway. And I wondered why they hadn't just fixed me instantly. Um, Whereas what I was looking at was, you know, 15 years of cumulative damage and, and not <laughs> and neglect. It wasn't going to go away overnight. Right. But this meant that I literally, by this stage, I couldn't run. Uh, I, I literally could not run. Uh, I couldn't have run across the street for a bus because it hurt too much. 
Uh, I had to sit down to put my shoes on. And bear in mind, I'm like 29, 30 years old at this point. Um, And so I get to a point, my friend suggested this. It's clearly a ridiculous idea. But I had this idea in my mind that I could do it. Um, I don't know where that even came from. And we signed up, and it was a two-year wait list um, because the race was very heavily uh, subscribed. And that was perfect. I figured I had one year to see if I could fix my uh, injury problems to a degree where I could run again and one year to see if I could run the distance. And that plan, you know, having that goal actually meant I worked at my rehab rather than expecting one quick, you know, tweak of a, of a chiropractor's thumb to fix all my damage. And I worked at it and I, and I got the results and I was able to start the running. I began the running and, and built up to the distance and, also, it gave me the perfect excuse. Like, I couldn't uh, drink more. You know, I had to drink less. I had to start changing my diet. I saw, a friend of mine said to me very early on, he was doing a lot of Ironman, and we trained together. Man, he handed me my ass on a plate so many times. It was humiliating to start with. But that gave me the fire to keep going. And in, in the end, running-wise, I was, I was able to take him, which he didn't like at all a year later. But that's, that's another story. Um, but that journey forced a change, and I learned that you don't need to drink every time you go out, you know, and also it makes me feel worse for my training, and I'm not going to – it was a line he said to me. He said, you're never going to be in the middle of the Sahara thinking, I wish I'd spent more time in the pub. Um, right. And, <laughs> and that's, a, that's a great that's a great. It was really good. It's like, yeah, I've got to do this work now, and I got really into it, and it was this – the event was so big, everyone knew about it. I was able to put a marker in the sand and go, uh, I have to change because of this, but I'll be back to normal, you know, and I'll come drinking with you all when I finish this race. Um, or I'll eat, say, you know, whatever it is, when I finish this race. And I crossed the finish line of the Marathon de Saab, and it sounds cheesy, but it was not a finish line. It was a start line. I realized I felt the best I'd felt like since I was a teenager. Why would I ever want to go back? And that was where my journey into endurance and, and fitness and nutrition really began. So that was crossing that finish line in 2009. Wow. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, there, that big shift, I, I see that. I think that, um, in my experience, there's, there's kind of two, uh, we, in a very boiled down sense or a very consolidated sense, there's, there's two types of athletes. There's, there's the athletes that have been doing it forever, right? They have this really deep um, uh, experience in sport, meaning you know they they did did it as a kid. Uh, they you know went through high school, uh, went through uh, college. You know that it's always been a part of their life, and they've uh, they've they've just maintained that, or it's almost just kind of second nature, right? They they've um, maybe the discipline has changed, but they're they're you know they're, they've always been involved in sport and, and can't imagine, um, that not being the case. And then there's, there's, which is a little bit your case, uh, although the other, the other athlete that I, that I think exists is maybe someone a little bit more similar to you, where you, you have some background, some experience, you know, in, in different disciplines, but then there's this kind of transformation or this kind of, um, this like high watermark experience or something that shifts t- typically later in life, although you were still young, but, um, but, but down the road where that really sets the, the tone um, for, for the rest of their life, right? That's what gets them in, into to, to whatever they're doing, whatever their sport is. And I'm always fascinated by what kind of flips that switch, you know, because it's one thing to do the work, um, but it's a wholly different thing to, to just totally transform the way you think about your life, right. And, and the way that you kind of, um, uh, you know, take those things and use them to inform the decisions you make, you know, outside of, uh, training and, and racing. And so what was it? Um, I, I'm curious kind of what that, um, what that shift was mentally for you. Was it, was it just having a goal or was there, was there things going on kind of in the background or on the periphery that helped kind of push you in that direction? Or was it just that seemed like a perfectly reasonable 
jumping off point and that's all yeah, I it's, needed? It's a good question. And I think the, um, I wouldn't have understood this at the time, but as I referred to previously, when friends started doing triathlon and instead of coming drinking, they'd like have a beer and then go home early because they were going cycling at 7 a.m. the next morning. And I would laugh and joke and say they were losers. Um, and I was kind of hiding behind a, a, a facade there because I was scared I'd be shown up if I had to go and do that. And I'd have to face the reality that I wasn't a fit person anymore. And I think part of that is deep down, I always identified as a, as a fit and healthy person. Um, but I was clearly totally out of line with that by then. And I couldn't have unpicked this at the time, but now, you know, that being my friend saying, let's go and do the marathon to sub, which was a stupid idea. I mean, it's a crazy idea, but actually surprisingly common in the number of people who go and do, do that race. Um, I'd say at least half the field is in a similar, a similar boat, but it really, because endurance events demand a lot of time and input from you, you're not going to get to the start line if you don't have the interest and desire and get enough back from the process in order to do the work to get there. Uh, but that involves repeating that work for, you know, this was over a process of a year in order to be able to do one race. Um, and I think that sort of gave me time to start to change as a person to become a runner, uh, someone who was fit and to now be coming back in line with what were my, my core values. Um, and at that point that really all came together. Uh, it, for me, it started to become apparent for the first time after the race, because I had literally thought I was going to go back to my old ways. Once this race was done, that was the story I needed to tell to people and tell to myself to do the work. But looking at that as an idea it's like why would i throw this away it's crazy it's so much fun i feel so good uh, you know, i can do stuff i never thought i'd be capable of what's next and and maybe this is um the, the universe or fate or whatever you want to call it but i was still working as a journalist at that time and i wrote for most of the main U uk newspapers um, and one of them, one of the Sunday papers, they'd asked me for some feature ideas for their magazine, um, kind of male orientated adventure type things. And I gave them four or five ideas. And one of them that I put on there was, uh, to do a feature running the UTMB, the ultra trail, the Mont Blanc, the hundred mile ultra marathon in, uh, in the European Alps starts in Chamonix and then runs through the French Alps into Switzerland, through the Swiss Alps into, um, no, sorry, through the French Alps into Italy, through the Italian Alps into Switzerland, through the Swiss Alps back into France. Um, a, a seminal race, a, a, an insane ultramarathon and something that makes the, the uh, Marathon de Saab look a bit like a fun run. Um, <laughs> and I put that on the, on the list of features thinking, uh, this will make me look good, and it's so niche, they'll never go for it. And that was the one they picked. And all of a sudden, uh, I, was, I, had, I had the qualifying points, so you need to qualify for UTMB. I had the points because of the races I'd done in the lead-up to the Marathon de Saab and the fact I'd finished that. Um, and because I had a media entry, they were happy to not make me go through the ballot, uh, and they gave me a place. So suddenly, uh, I'm a month out of the Marathon de Saab, and I find I've got three months to get ready for the UTMB. So that kept the momentum going for me and once i was on that train i was beyond hooked because the utmb broke me like a twig i, I really knew it was going to be bigger but i had no idea <laughs> how much bigger or harder it would be um it destroyed me and i was left a, a, a sort of shambling crying wreck at the halfway point but so weirdly with a burning desire to finish that race at any cost one day uh, and, and, you know, at that point, the momentum was on, path was set and, and course, course had been not just changed, but really, uh, embedded, repeated and reinforced. Did you, uh, did you, that first time you did UTMB, did you, did, did you, uh, finish or did it take you another time? To, oh, no, I, I, uh, I, I to could finish? not have, I, I worked out, I could have got out of the halfway aid station uh, and I could have probably made it up the next climb, but I would not have made it downhill. So it's, it's 10,000 meters of vertical climbing, which is the 
height of Everest with the equal amount of descending. And actually, unless you've trained well, which I totally hadn't, uh, I was far too early in the sport, downhill was crippling me. I might have got to the top of the next climb and they'd have had to airlift me off. Uh, so I took a sensible choice. <laughs> the, uh, it wasn't a choice. I bailed halfway. There was no way I was finishing that race. But over the next two or three years, I came back and ran the as a CCC, which was the 100-kilometer version, and I finished that. And then I finished the UTMB the following year. So um, it, it was done. Yeah. That's uh that's fantastic. So that's that's uh, personally that's one on my bucket list. I, I haven't done it yet, uh, although it is uh, in my oh my my short uh, my short list of uh, of races that I that I, I absolutely will do uh, in in some you know hopefully very near uh, future. But I that's another thing that I think is always really you know I, I find these these kind of seminal moments and and. Um, you know, in an athlete's career or athlete's journey, they, they can be, um, uh, they can be really make or break. Right. So you finished not finishing UTMB the first time could have, could have just as easily maybe, or, or certainly the other option was that just, that just crushed your spirit and you, you gave it up, you know? And I, and I think that's, I see that happen, uh, with a lot of athletes is that they, because you, emotionally you get very invested in 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 these events right because it it does it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of energy the build-up is so intensive uh even if it's not something as extreme as utmb um what what were there you know as you were contemplating the (laughs) airlift off of the next uh, of the next peak you know were there were there moments that you did you ever feel kind of crushed and down on yourself or was it an immediate uh you know kind of rejuvenation that you just had to get back in there and, and I, say, I, mean, yeah, I definitely wasn't crushed um but because i knew when i looked at the race that it was way beyond what i had ever done at that point i was very early in my ultra running uh time and uh, i knew there was a good chance i would not be able to do it Um, and the experience of simply getting to halfway and how much that had destroyed me beyond anything I had experienced before, um, I I had come up against a, a, a far superior opponent who had absolutely destroyed me. And so there was no, uh, I, I was happily beaten. Do you know what I mean? It's like, this was just way too big. This was not actually even possible. Um, but the fire was lit around the, the fire was lit immediately. I mean, it had been lit before I even had started the race the way Chamonix is taken over with runners. I mean, I don't know how it is currently. I think it's still the same. You, uh, a bit like in, in Western States, you get a belt buckle. If you complete the race, um, in the UTMB, you get a, a gilet, like a, a sleeveless zip up top as a finisher, and I thought it must be so strange for any non-running tourist who happened to be in Chamonix that weekend because on Friday, Chamonix is overrun with very fit, lean-looking people eating everything they can find. And by Sunday, Chamonix is full of this kind of weird, shuffling, zombie army of people all wearing these matching zip-up tops. It's, you can't tell what's happened. And I, I, you know, that top just meant so much that the romance of having done it, the adventure of being out all night, maybe two nights, um, it just got under my skin so deeply that the, I say there was, yeah, there was no emotional break. It was just an honest acknowledgement that this was way beyond what I was capable of, but I wanted so much to be capable of it that I was going to find a plan to come back and do it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think I, I'm always an advocate of um, of of s- setting really aggressive goals and then almost almost setting yourself up for failure, right? Like that. And what's important in that process is that your expectations are aligned appropriately, right? That you don't you don't go into it. I mean, some of the best races I've ever had, uh, you know, personally have been ones that that I went into it with just to see what would happen, 
right? I, I didn't know. It seemed maybe too big or maybe I wasn't 100% sure about my fitness or the field that showed up was very, uh, you know, uh, very talented. And, and when you go into it with that just kind of, um, you know, just kind of like pure wonderment, you're like, oh, you know, I just, I'm here for the experience and we'll see what happens. There, that can be, that can be a really great thing, but where people get bogged down and, and where people get derailed is when those expectations are not in line with, with what, you know, the outcome, right. When they think that they're going to, um, you know, finish or, or do, do well. And, and that maybe isn't, it's not the right time for them, right. It's okay that it can be a process. Um, yeah, I, I just think there's, there's value in just kind of going for it, you know, and seeing, seeing what happens, but that, that keeps a lot of people away. I mean, I really back to kind of the, a point you made, uh, earlier was, you know, it's it, when you're, it's easier to, it's easier to say no, um, or to make fun of the people that are doing these things. And maybe they're on the surface, maybe they're, you know, failing or not doing as well, but it's easier to say no, because that, that allows you to, to protect yourself, right? You don't, you don't have to butt up against the real possibility of failure. If you just, if you just never say, uh, say yes. Right. And I think a lot of people are kind of scared into that, you know, sitting on the fence saying no, protecting themselves. Um, and they, they can miss out on a lot of opportunities, right? I don't know. Do you, I, I'm sure you've seen that, you know, it's, that's a fairly pervasive thing where people, people like to operate, a lot of people like to operate within their comfort zone, right? And, and, and I, and that can be fine, but if you do that from a place of fear or a place of protecting your identity as an athlete, right? Protecting your identity as someone who always does well or always produces a certain result, that can be, that's when it becomes harmful, right? Or, 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 or limits your potential uh, as an individual. Do you know, have you, you experienced it? You know, maybe not even personally. I, I think you're, you, you're, de- you're definitely right with that. And, and it's, it's a very natural human trait to, you know, whether, you know it, it can be fear, it can be anxiety. We don't want to be shown up for what we're not. Or, or even to, to have light shone upon our weaknesses. Um, and, and, and that gives us this kind of comfort zone. But I think, and, and I'm, I'm sure you, you must have exactly the same uh, sort of take on this, as will a lot of people listening, a comfort zone is, is a shrink-to-fit thing. Um, and it, it, unless you keep pushing it outwards, right. it will shrink. Um, and your, your world and, and your life will ultimately become smaller. And, you know, it, you can push out in, in different areas. It doesn't matter. You may have to, there may be one area where you've really gone out on a limb for years and say, simply put, you, you might be a, you've been a great runner, um, for, you know, whatever level you wanted to, to, to put yourself at. And, and you've really pushed that comfort zone. But then someone says, well, Hey, do you want to come and do a triathlon? Well, suddenly you're back at the beginner level again and you may have to sacrifice kind of some of that comfort zone that you pushed outwards in your running. Uh, you might have to let that come a little closer to go and focus on this other thing and take yourself in another direction, if, if that makes sense. But uh, I, I think a general process of in life, wherever it may be, pushing your comfort zone outwards rather than inwards because it's natural tendency unless you do anything is that it's going to shrink. Right. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, I think not even, not even as a, as a coach, although certainly conversations I have with with athletes, um, can oftentimes revolve around how we, how we find, you know, comfort and discomfort, right. And how do you enjoy a, a process that's inevitably going to force you to butt up against your or or face head on a a lot of your insecurities a lot of your weaknesses right we're going to have to train these weaknesses in areas where you feel uh, inadequate Uh, also very much on the mental side right how do we uh, just by doing those things you're going to have to to kind of butt up against uh, a lot of these kind of mental and emotional 
places where you've carved out that feel comfortable. And now, you know, if you're going to, to set aggressive goals or get out of that comfort zone, like you said, push outward, it's only natural that there's going to be discomfort there. Right. And I think that's a really hard, it's a really hard place for a lot of people to, to operate. Right. You, you have, and I'm not saying that, that everyone uh, <laughs> has to go do UTMB. Right. <laughs> I mean that, but, but just, but this, that mindset of, maybe seeing what's possible if you just pushed uh, a, a little further, right? And I think it sounds like that's that's been a similar kind of path that you've, you know, you did uh, your first ultra uh, in the Sahara. And then it was, it's, you know, it, as long as you're open to it, it almost is a natural progression that you, uh, that you, you know, you see what's on the other side of that, right? You, you explore in your case, something like UTMB and being open to those possibilities. But if if you if you're not open to it, you you know can shut your shut yourself down. I, I don't know. Do you, do you feel like that progression again, just kind of from a mindset perspective? That I've always felt like just in my life, I've kind of been naturally, <laughs> I guess for lack of a better word, kind of naturally like drug along by my uh, curiosity to see what's on the other side, right? And that's led <laughs> to some great experiences. It's also led to tremendous amounts of pain and suffering and misery, but. But, but I, you know, but I opted into that. So that's fine. Um, yeah. Do, do you feel that, you know, am I, I guess, I guess I'm trying to just, no, I, am I, I alone? I think or you're, you're absolutely else not alone. Way? And I think it's very much, uh, endurance sports are, are a great vehicle for it. They're, um, it's such a, uh, an easy way to go and explore what your, what your body and your mind will do um and and how far you can go and and relatively it it can be as simple as just putting one foot in front of the other to get there at times you're going to have to do a lot of work but uh i think they offer one of the cheapest tickets there is to really learn more about yourself and and you know where where your where your limits lie and that naturally then sparks a journey where it isn't just a physical process it's a mental process um and you know whether you seek out uh podcasts or films or running clubs you know you you're going to increasingly be drawn into a community where uh, that idea that you're the average of the five people you spend most time with well ultimately uh, if you follow that path over a period of time the influences coming into your life are going to change significantly and they're, they're going to change you as a person and, and that journey is on the one hand it's physical but it's really driven i think by curiosity to see more of yourself see more of the world see more of other people um, you know, find out what you can really do. So, no, I, I think curiosity is probably at the heart of all of it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think you just said, um, and I, I've kind of heard this uh, mentioned in, in, in different ways, but, you know, you're the kind of the, the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I, I think that's that's something, one of the things that I, I always feel like, you know, specific to endurance sports and, and obviously, you know, in, in, you know, my work and your work being surrounded by, by these people, um, it's the lens at which I, you know, look, look at it kind of life through, but I've always made the argument and, and I don't think it's a, a, a tough one to make, but that, you know, the, by pursuing and being focused and, and having that curiosity and surrounding yourself with a, a, a community that ultimately, from the most part it is is going to be positive it really informs and and kind of guides the the rest of your your life in terms of you know i've it makes you a better uh you know employee or a better boss or a better you know husband or wife or or you know whatever and i you know if, if these things that that kind of push you um and, and drive you to to kind of pursue the best version of yourself are at the center of your life, then, then everything around that has to be better. Right. I, I, I think, um, do you, especially, you know, you as a, as a business owner, uh, is that, do you feel like, you know, that kind of has to be like the foundational pieces like that, you know, the physical work in some capacity and then that kind of, uh, you know, or is it just, 
trying to get a workout in and it's just hard to balance and, and there's, there's definitely some, some ebb and ebb flow, and flow in there. Um, because there, there came a time when we, uh, when Erica and I started 33 fuel, uh, it was really, we were scratching our own itch and we didn't like the fact that sports nutrition was all processed and unnatural. We had bad results with it. We went on a journey to try and find a natural way because we couldn't find products that satisfied what we wanted. And friends like that, then their friends liked it, and it, it became a thing. But the first few years, um, it, it, we were still doing our, our regular jobs. I was a journalist. Erica was a, a film director. Um, and so, it, you know, it was growing gently. But then as it really began to grow and we went full time three or four years ago, there came a period for a couple of years where the focus training required for racing uh, over ultra distance was the time was not there. Uh, Our endurance focus had to be switched into the business uh, at that point. It it really, it, it needed it. And we just came out of that um, last year. Well, this probably this time last year, where we're like, do you know what? I think we've got we can start racing again. Now we kept training, uh, and you know we kept this, the social side of it going, but we hadn't put any races in the calendar. And I was aware that you know my general level of fitness was clearly gently trending down. It was still a lot better than average, but it was it was going in a way where I was now starting to get to a point where again, I could become inconsistent with my core values, especially now this one of fitness and health and well-being have become so much more dominant. Um, so we brought, we put a race back in. We, we did a, it was a half Ironman in, uh, in Whistler in Canada last summer. And that was, that was a, a really good one to put back in just because we set the criteria. This must be a positive stress. Uh, this, you know, this must not affect our work performance and it must be a positive stress in our life. So that pretty much, those were the parameters for the training. Like training always had to be enjoyable. Like it was something that was going to recharge you for work, not run you down for work. You know, it was something that was going to improve your race. And we had to juggle the goals within that. But I think that yeah. that was a really nice one to bring it back in. And, and I, there's there's space it's space for that. And it feels like that you know we're now setting the curve back in the opposite direction. But um, I'd be interested to know from, from your side, actually, the, there are, I, I see a lot of parallels between you know, business and endurance sport. And, you know, the, the way you need to keep going, it's a huge journey. You take step by step. You break it down into manageable chunks. Uh, you, you routinely check your bearings, take, take, your, take, your, uh, take your goals, and, and set a plan to achieve them. But where I find business differs is business doesn't have a defined finish line like a race does. Um, and then the skill set maybe starts to change a bit. The lessons from the sport become more useful. But if it were a race, it would be like a race which did exist in the UK. I don't know if it still does. It was very niche because um, it was crazy. <laughs> it was called the piece of string race. And, and the point is, the question is, how long is a piece of string? And obviously nobody knows. And the point with the piece of string race is when you started it, you didn't know how long it was. Um, so you were just running to a checkpoint and that might be the last checkpoint. It might be one of 30, um, but you could be running for 36 hours. You, it might be 12 hours long, but you did not know. Wow. So pacing was almost impossible. And I think that is more like the business journey than, than a direct race with a set finish line. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally draw uh, constantly, you know, parallels uh, from uh, you know b- business and 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 training and, and racing and, and and specifically being, um, you know, I, I guess uh, you know to 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 categorize myself, uh, you know, ultra distance athlete. Um, yeah, I think it is it is different. You know, I think. With with races, um, you know the distance, right? I mean, that's a great point that you bring up. Is that like you, you you know you have a goal time. Now that goal time might need to be adjusted or, or whatever. Things might not go as planned, but you you know how long it's going to take. Generally, 
you base your training around that. So you build your capacity, the volume matches the specificity of the race and so on. And, you know, and it's a very kind of organized progression into what's generally um, a pretty uh, well-known outcome right now. Of course you could do really well in the race. You could not do as well, but, but you know, what's going to happen. Um, certainly, you know, how long it's going to last, how long the race is. Yeah. With, with, with building a business, it's, you know, you, you have no idea it's open-ended, right? I think one of the things that's, that's really, uh, that I really enjoy about the business side of things is that it can be anything you want it to be right. Versus, versus a race where it's very, uh, it's very finite, right? The race is, uh, a hundred miles, right. Or, or whatever. Um, and when you're building something from scratch, um, it can be, it can be anything, right. And you can mold it and you can, uh, try different things. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I try to think about, uh, as a specifically as a, you know, as it pertains to being a business owner is not to think about the, the kind of end goal, um, or, or, or some sort of finite endpoint is, but more to kind of be a little bit open to the possibilities that it could mold and, and kind of morph into, uh, lots of different things, right? You, we might have, um, you know, uh, we might have services, uh, in five years that I am not thinking about right now. Right. And that's good. I mean, I, you know, I try not to kind of corner myself in by thinking like, okay, you know, we're a coaching group. This is what we look like. This is what's going to happen the next 10 years. We're going to, you know, like, and I certainly have a plan, but, um, but also kind of adapting on the fly as well. Right. And being open to, to it. Um, you know, I mean, a great example would be this podcast, right? I, you know, I, I, I like podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. It was only until I kind of sunk you know, got into this just kind of personal passion of, of discussing the, the more kind of mental, emotional components of endurance sports that I feel like I needed to start one because I didn't feel like uh, it was being discussed to the capacity that I wanted to hear about it. You know, so it was a little self-serving, but you know, here we are, we're off and running and, and, you know, uh, there's lots of people that are, that are listening. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think I, I always draw, you know, fairly both direct and then, you know, there's a lot of differences between, uh, you know, sport and, uh, and, and business. Um, I, I think one of the things I want to go back to, cause you mentioned this idea of, of positive stress, uh, and that, that the, the racing and the training, um, you know, essentially should add value to, to your life. Right. And the process should be enjoyable. And I, I, I think that's so important for, for people, you know, we, that I'm always an advocate of if it's, there's times certainly when training is stressful, right? Maybe you have to get up early or you stay up late to get a session in. And, but it, but I think the net outcome should be that it adds value to your life, right? That it, that it helps to, like you said, it, it energizes the work that you have to do outside of training. Uh, it doesn't drag it down. You're not so exhausted that you can't, uh, execute, you know, day in and day out. You can't give time to the relationships that are important to you. Um, do you, I, I, I'm just, yeah, curious, you know, what, is that something that you feel like you try to make central in, in your approach as kind of a, you know, uh, as an athlete is just this kind of value add and making sure Definitely. that you know, I, I think it's, it's something uh, you're going to enjoy overall. It's something that I'm increasingly realizing is that fitness, training, racing, endurance, it's, it is about the next race. That's important. It is about the next season. You know, what's going on now that's important, but really it's a lifetime skill. And, you know, this is something you're doing for life. Um, yeah, as in it, it's again, going to feed into right. your relationships, your personality. Um, and it should all be part of allowing you to keep growing and changing. So, you know, it might be that you go through an intense period of doing a lot of races and it might be that the most important thing for you is that race performance, um, and in that case, you know, the, the, the sort of the scale can tip very heavily. Uh, you can be doing huge volumes of training and that can be highly beneficial because it's exactly what you want. 
Um, but there may be other times, you know, if you've just had young children or if you have, uh, like we were talking earlier before we started recording, if you do run your own business and it, it is your, your passion and, and you have a, a big mission and, you know, you're on the journey with that mission, but you certainly haven't, you know, got to the point where you go, well, I've definitely achieved it all yet. Then there's so much of that to do. Then maybe the scale of the training is going to, for it to balance well, it's going to come back the other way a bit. So you're going to make sure there's the time for your, for your career. And you're going to make sure that you're, you're also scratching your itch and looking after your fitness and, and doing, you know, whatever the, the level is there that, that suits as a, as a maximum for you. Um, but I think overall, the, the, the biggest thing I, I've taken from the last 10 years of training and racing has just been that it's only ever overall made my life better. And uh, I wanted to keep doing that. And the, there are still occasions, you're right, there are sometimes right. there is a hard session, it is early, you need to go and do it, it is raining, and you know you've got to do it, but actually that's pleasurable afterwards. It's the ones where if it's become a habit, like I'm just doing a long bike ride every Sunday because that's what I do, but actually I don't even enjoy it anymore. I just haven't thought of anything else that I should do more. That's Those are the ones I want to avoid. It, it's almost like a, a broader version of junk miles, you know, miles that don't feed, feed your fitness as well as your, your sort of well-being and your soul because when we bring it all together, right. we can break it down into training or nutrition or uh, meditation or quality time being present with our family or whatever but they're all just different versions of us being well you know and they all play into each other right yeah absolutely yeah yeah i I love your your point about um you know this that it's a lifetime pursuit i i i I talk about that a lot i i think probably (laughs) uh because it's something that i I really, there's so many, there's so many athletes that, that, you know, are, are just more, you know, more narrowly focused, right? You have one season, one race, one, you know, and and it, and I just, I'm an advocate or, or advocate for, like you said, just a mindset of, of continual improvement in whatever capacity makes sense for you at that time, right? And that there's not, it doesn't mean that there's a constant upward progression of fitness, right? You don't have to always be more fit than you were last year, right? Or last month or last season that it's, that it's okay for things to, to like, you know, like you said, you have, you know, very focused time and maybe you're doing lots of volume and that makes sense for your life and your, your, you know, what you have available then. And then there can be seasons where, you know, you're just maintaining, right? But but that it's you're moving towards uh, you know a lifetime uh, of of you know of of bettering yourself or or positioning yourself to be better than you were you know in seasons past you know and as long as that mindset is pervasive, I think that's what matters most, right? You can you can have faster splits one season and, and be a better runner and then next season you're slower and, you know, and, and, but if you've, if, if from a mindset perspective, if you're in a positive space, um, I think that's, what's important, you know, and people just get very hung up on this idea that there just has to be this kind of constantly upward trending trajectory of, of just pure fitness. Right. And I, I would make the argument that, you know, fitness, if we look at it as kind of like a, a construct it has to do with a lot more than than just how fast you run or how much power you put out on the bike it's about you know how you feel about your your day-to-day life how you feel about your relationships your business your work your whatever you know and if if that's trending upward then that's that's what matters right and then fitness of course will will ebb and flow you know and i think that's that's important and yeah people just and it just really sets people up for for failure because you it can't it can't happen right you're not going to be <clears throat> more fit season after season so ha- having adjusting your expectations at the onset uh is just a much more productive way to think about things and all right 12 weeks from now i have this race and if i don't do you know if i don't podium then that means i wasted all my time 
right? Um, and I, you know, I hear that from athletes sometimes. They're like, "All right, I need to win, or this whole thing has been a bust." And I'm like, "Oh, this is, you know, there's no. Even if you do win, it, what's going to happen next season, right? Eventually, you're not going to win, uh, and that's gonna that's gonna let you down." So, I, uh, yeah, I, I love that that idea of the lifetime pursuit. It, I. It always just makes me smile when I hear anyone mention that because that's just such a such a, a thing that I try to to kind of keep in the forefront of my mind, but also you know in working with athletes, try to try to help them carve that out. Um, yeah, it, it, so ho- hopefully um, hopefully that continues, right? And you're, you'll you'll just you'll be. Well, so uh, it, it's uh, what's, it's what's next on your time on to your, to on think about list, it, and now that you have one of the. One of the things that I've really enjoyed that comes, well, certainly for me has come over time is uh, whereas seven, eight, nine years ago, I I would read about, you know, training and training smart and and listening to your body and all that sort of stuff. Um, There are some things that you can't hack and and that sort of compound interest that you build up over time, the understanding of your body. and, And I think that will just keep going. You know, the more you tune in, the more you learn and to a degree, that makes the work easier with, with with each new year because you understand your body that much better. You are not, un, you know, it's not guaranteed it's not going to happen, but you become less likely to get injured. You become more resilient. You know a bit more naturally when to back off, when to when to put the hammer down. And so, with that in mind, I, off the back of the seventy point three Ironman in the summer. Um, I've taken it relatively easy for the last couple of months, just, uh, keeping things ticking over a little bit of running, a little bit of turbo daily yoga and and a little bit of kettlebells and and that's it just so I'm ready to go again. And I'm just starting to feel like I am ready to go again. And I'm really thinking that it's another 70.3 next year because it's just such a beautiful distance. I mean, I've done Ironman previously, and I have great respect for everyone who who does that. And but I, I would like to uh, go at more of my capacity rather than simply kill myself to finish. And at the moment, I don't have the hours in the day to put in an Ironman at what would be some sense of a pace for me and my level. I could finish one. But the last five hours are going to be really ugly, and right now I don't I don't find that attractive. Whereas the seventy point three, I tell you what, in Whistler, when I came to the end of the bike course and it says seventy point three, you know, peel off to transition, Ironman athletes turn around. I was just laughing inside. I'm like, I'm so glad I'm doing this and not the full distance, you know. And I had the same on the run turnaround. It's just like, oh, I am winning this. This is great. They've got to do another one. I'm going into the finish. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's definitely another 70.3 next year. And Erica, it was her first 70.3. She did that one in Whistler (laughs) as well. So we've done some of the training together. We've gone on the journey a bit together. And and that worked well from a a work or relationship, a personal point of view. Um, So, yeah, I, I think it's just about getting time. And the only downside, of course, with the whole... I'm man the 70.3 infrastructure is uh it's uh, very commercial and they all get signed up almost immediately so uh i probably need to start looking about yesterday to find a race for next summer <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is uh, it is impressive how how uh fast those races fill up and yeah that's great but i i love I, that just that idea of kind of working within your, you know, understanding your capacity, your time availability, and then working within that. Right. I think that's also just so important, you know, as just, you know, takeaway for anyone, for the folks that are listening is, you know, not again, back to this idea that there's doesn't have to be an upward trajectory. So just because you've done an Ironman before, doesn't mean the next thing you do has to be harder than an Ironman, right? You can, you can come, you know, back in terms of distance or in terms of time and still be productive and successful. And, and, and that's, that's okay. You know, that's part of it, right. That sets you, sets you up for success. So, um, yeah, well, well, thanks Warren. That, uh, (laughs) I wish you all the best in, uh, in your 70.3. 
Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Warren. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, I really value uh, and appreciate Warren's perspective on our journey as athletes and uh, and individuals and um, how we can use our uh, our sport to to inform the decisions we make about uh, about life and and business uh, and the other relationships that we have and and it's something that personally uh, I really identify with and and align with and so I hope you were able to to find some takeaways there and, and identify with uh, some of Warren's uh, perspectives as as much as I was. Um, ThomasEnduranceCoaching.com, as always, uh, is a resource for any of the things that we talk about on Endurance Minded. Um, we have a lot of great things coming up uh, in, uh, in the winter and spring. Most notably, we'll be launching uh, an all-inclusive uh, gravel training camp uh, the last weekend of April. Uh, that's going to be hosted at the Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista, California. So that's right outside of San Diego. Um, it's going to be five days, four nights, um, uh, all inclusive. So uh, everything from your meals to uh, to your room and board to your support during your, uh, to the rides, um, everything's going to be taken care of. So this is going to be a, a truly uh, unique and world-class experience. Um, we'll be launching details um, very, very soon soon. Um, but keep a lookout for that. And uh, if, if you're um, looking for uh, an experience that's second to none, uh, I definitely, um, uh, it's definitely going to be worth checking out. So again, thomasendurancecoaching.com. Thanks as always for tuning in and we'll see you next time.